Yeah, we as a church have been going through the book of Genesis for about three years now, sort of in big chunks. We're doing a big chunk at the moment on a man called Jacob. And uh, we're looking at the fact that he was a very normal man with lots of mistakes, lots of flaws, and yet he was chosen. If you're a Christian here today, you will know that that is the same story for you as well. And um, I think it's fairly true to say that in this world, there is something of a, a universal tension. A universal tension which you may or may not be aware of. Between, at one level, a deep gratitude for the ordinary and yet good things of life. Work, family, a house, a roof over your head, good food to eat. Friends, family, that kind of thing. There's a something of a tension, I believe, in the hearts of every man and woman between that gratitude for the ordinary and yet deep down in the heart of every man, woman and child, there is this deep longing for something beyond simply all those good things. And the world, I believe, it really tries its best to offer a whole load of different things that would take us from the ordinary to the extraordinary. The world offers so many different things, doesn't it? That it it says, if you are like that couple this week who won 56 million pounds, then if that was you, the world says, then your life would be transported from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And money is just one of a whole load of different options that the world gives us that if only we had that, if only we had promotion or a partner or children or a bigger house or a bigger yacht or whatever it might be that the world tells us. If we had that thing, then our life would go from being ordinary and good to being extraordinary. Or it might be drugs. It might be Drugs that are legal, drugs that are illegal. Whatever it is, the condition of this world, I really believe, is that this world is full of humans who are in something of a tension between the ordinary and the good, and yet this deep down longing for something extraordinary. Now the million dollar question here today is this. If that's even half true, is it a legitimate desire? Is it something that we just need to go, oh, come on, Tom, get over it. Be real. Life's hard. Life's, you know, it's full of good things and occasionally maybe extraordinary things will happen. But Tom, get real, okay? Life, you know, life is uh, like a Monday morning. Life is just ordinary. Don't raise expectations. Is it, is it that or is it actually that that deep down desire in every person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, is actually from God? Is it just possible that that deep, maybe unconscious thing in our souls, Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Is it just possible that actually that nagging sense in all of us really is from God himself, whispering to us that actually we should crave something extraordinary? And my, you may have guessed the answer, I believe, is that actually that's true. And we're going to see today a man, as I've said, a very ordinary man called Jacob, on an ordinary day, on an ordinary night, hitting the sack, as he does every night, going to bed, and something utterly extraordinary happening. And God, I believe, today wants to capture our hearts and our imaginations afresh, that what we're about to read was not just a one-off event, but actually the same God that encountered an ordinary man and made his life extraordinary, is alive and well and here today. Let's read, shall we? Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Bathsheba and went towards Haran in the north. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night. And because the sun, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder or a flight of steps set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. 
And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. Father, I thank you. You are the same yesterday and today and forever. Lord, we praise your awesome name that you are here by your spirit. And we just say, Lord, in these few moments we have, come and encounter us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God is in the business of heavenly ambushes. I hope you are righteously nervous because I believe in the next half an hour or so, Genuinely, the living God is going to be speaking to us through this wonderful, ancient, and yet living story. There's just three points I want to pull out. They're very simple, but I hope they are penetrating and profound. The first of them is this. What, what do we learn from this story is this. You ready? Dreams, they aren't dodgy. They're not dodgy. What am I talking about? I just want to say this. this I just want to lay a foundation, first of all, is the fact that what we see here is that God chooses to encounter Jacob through a dream. And you think, Tom, why are you bothering to tell us this? I'll tell you why, because actually, if you're anything like me, I've been a Christian 12 years now, and there are certain people in the Christian world, probably very well-meaning, but they're sometimes a bit strange. And, uh, and often you meet people who are just a bit wacky. And somehow, sometimes they've had these crazy dreams and these sort of things that, that mean that when I, or perhaps you, when we look at the whole thing of dreams, we can sometimes perhaps just be a tiny bit skeptical. You know, we can associate those sorts of things with those types of Christians that are probably you know, very well-meaning, very enthusiastic, but a little bit, you know, a little bit too much caffeine. And what I just want to say here is just very simple. I want to lay a foundation that dreams from God are 100% orthodox, if I might use that word in the best sense. That what we see here is that this guy, Jacob, normal guy, as you would have heard last week, his dad has said to him, come on, Jacob, I want you to marry a girl from your hometown. So Jacob, being the obedient man he is, he's got his rucksack on, and he started that, are you ready for this? 500-mile journey. That's like from here to Newcastle or something. Poor bloke. He's, you know, he's heard Tim's sermon last week. He's taking it to heart. Got to go and find someone from my own tribe. Blimey, O'Reilly. Off he goes. Walking along, off to Newcastle, 500 miles to find himself a lady. Now, at this point, it's clear. It seems that Jacob has never encountered God. At this point in the story, Jacob is, is, it's almost like he's kind of a nominal Christian. You know, he'd probably tick C of E if someone gave him a questionnaire and he's part of England. Yeah, you know, my dad, he's a real passionate believer. And Abraham, his grand, my grandfather, you know, he has some amazing encounters. But here he is just being obedient. He's just being obedient to his father. The road would have been very lonely. I love verse 11. It just says he came to a certain place. Point being, it wasn't special. Just a normal place in the middle of the Middle East that he happened on that night to go, okay, I've done enough journeying for dad to today. And he lies down, his head goes on the pillow of a rock. Nice. So obviously a tough man. Put his head on the rock. And then everything changes. And we see these words. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And what we see here is, is a familiar story, but it's just simply extraordinary. Is that in a moment, the man who has never encountered God, 
The man, he, you know, he would have had some level of faith in God, believed in Yahweh in some way, and yet he goes to sleep. And that night, the sovereign God of the universe, purely by grace, decides to reveal himself to Jacob. Notice the words here. he says, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, who's actually his grandfather, and the God of Isaac. Who's Isaac? It's his father. Think about this. In the previous two weeks ago, we heard Jeff preach on, on uh, Jacob ripping off his dad, Isaac. You know, he puts on the, ha- the hairy cloak and he pretends to be his brother. And it's like God here, Jacob encounters the living God. And God's saying, hi there, Jacob. I'm the God of your grandfather and the God of your father, the one you ripped off just a short time ago. I mean, talk about humbling he comes and in him, he's encountering the living God. And the first words that God say to him are basically reminding him that this extraordinary encounter is 100% by grace. Say by grace, by grace. We need to get that into our, into our hearts. Because you see, this story, this story is deliberately very, very familiar and very similar to another story that happened in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, you know the story. In Genesis 11, the people uh, at that time start to build what would have probably have been called a ziggurat, which is, imagine, just like a big pyramid. And on one side of it, there's like this huge flight of stairs, and they're building this tower. And the scriptures tell us that they're building it for two wrong reasons. One, for their glory, and two, because in some way they believe that they can kind of, through their tower of righteousness, get to God. And God looks at it and says, I hate that. I hate it. I hate it that you're living for your own fame. And I hate it that you and your arrogance think you can actually work your way up to heaven, that you can put on my, through your righteous tower, you can get to me. What planet are you on? I'm the holy God. And so you see, when we read here now about a second tower, a second ladder, a second ziggurat, actually, this is all God's doing. Do you see that? It's the total opposite. It's the same in form, and yet this is all about God's glory, and this is all about God, by grace, encountering a normal, sinful man. It's extraordinary. And this is his moment, where Jacob goes from, yeah, you know, part of the city church, I like it, it's pretty good, you know, I think I believe in God, to boom, God's there. God is terrifyingly real. He's there. And he's totally by grace. It's all by grace. He's standing in the presence of angels ascending and descending. And a living God who reminds him that actually you ripped off someone that I quite like called Isaac. And yet I love you. And I'm here. And I'm revealing myself to you. And it's all through a dream. And, and you see, once we just come to terms with that, what we realize is that actually when you look through this book, the Bible, it's just crammed full of dream encounters. We're going to read a little bit later about one of Jacob's sons called Joseph in Genesis 37. And, and Joseph has a dream. You've probably heard the story. And the result of that, his life is changed. Then it's in Genesis 41, Pharaoh has a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. And as a result of that, is ascended and promoted as the prime minister of Egypt. We're going to read in Judges 7 about Gideon who overhears a dream that God's given to his enemies and a result of that his army is led into wonderful conquering. We're going to see at the beginning of, of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, we hear about, sorry no, 1, 1, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, Solomon has a dream and in that dream God says to him, what would you like? I'll give you anything. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. We're going to hear about Nat Daniel, And the fact that Nebuchadnezzar has these dreams and he needs someone to interpret it. And it goes on and on and on and on. Dreams throughout scripture, when they're from God, they aren't dodgy. They are the most wonderful, glorious gift from him. And you said to me, Tom, why are you you ramming this point high? Because I want to say this. When I meditated on this, this scripture and then I looked at dreams throughout scripture, I realized this. Tom Shaw's expectancy, when my head hits the pillow is like zilch when it comes to what's going to happen now. Anyone here resonate with that? For me, it's like, Lord Jesus, please let Daisy and Lily not wake up. That's, that's the height of my expectancy. Lord, 
I pray, Lord living God, appear to me in that form and I will believe in you again. You know, a third of our life is spent asleep. So if we live to 90, do the math, that's 30 years. 30 years in this place called Dream World, which the Bible tells us we are to have high expectations that God can and wants to encounter us. Isn't that extraordinary? Do you find that amazing? For me, is, I find sleep, sleep for me equals function. It's like, oh, I can get recharged. It doesn't, in my, at the moment, my faith levels are, have been down here in terms of f- sleep equals encountering the living God. And yet, guys, friends, God wants to raise our expectations that actually in these days, he will, he will give us extraordinary dreams that take us from a place like Jacob of, I'm a kind of, you know, I kind of believe in God, to a place of, oh my goodness, God is real. God is the same God, yesterday, today, and forever. And even as I'm saying this, I believe across this room, there'll be many here, and as I'm saying these words, God is reminding you of dreams that you've had. He's reminding you of dreams that you have had at previous times in your life that you thought were just a dream and actually saying, no, no, that was something from me. That was a promise from me. That was an encounter from me. And I believe there's many here as well that actually a major way that you are going to serve his purposes is through being someone who hears God, who encounters God through dreams. And that God is going to encounter you so that you will then pass on the blessing that you receive. Dreams from God, when they're from God, not only aren't dodgy, they are life-changing. Many of you would have heard of the pastor Bill Johnson, a man who's been used in America in extraordinary ways. And this is, this is an incident that happened to him a few years ago. After a trip in 95, I began to cry out to God day and night for about eight months. My prayer was, God, I want more of you at any cost. Very dangerous prayer. I will, I will pay any price, even more dangerous. And then one night in October, God came in answer to my prayer, but not in a way I'd expected. I went from being in a dead sleep to being wide awake and yet at the same time still asleep. Unexplainable power began to pulsate through my body. It was as if I'd been plugged into a wall socket with a thousand volts of electricity flowing through my body. An extremely powerful being seemed to have entered the room and I could not function in his presence. My arms and legs shot out in silent explosions as this power was released through my hands and feet. The more I tried to stop it, the worse I got. it got. I soon discovered that this was not a wrestling match I was going to win. I heard no voice, nor did I have any visions, This was the most overwhelming experience of my life. It was raw power. It was God. He had come in response to the prayer I'd been praying. Here I was at 3 a.m. It was my moment. It didn't come in the way I expected, although I couldn't have told you what I had expected. He came to me on a mission. I was his target. It was a glorious experience because it was him, but it was not a very pleasant one. Tears began to soak my pillowcase as he reminded me of my prayers over the previous months, contrasting them with the scenes that had just passed through my mind. I was gripped by the realisation that God wanted to make an exchange, an increased manifestation of his presence in exchange for my dignity. After all, I had prayed at any cost. It's difficult to explain exactly how one knows the purpose for such encounters, but all I can say is you just know. You know his purpose so clearly that every other reality fades into the shadows as God puts his finger on the one thing that matters to him. It was in this place, not knowing if I would ever function as a normal human being again, wondering if I would actually be bedridden for the rest of my life because of this overwhelming presence, that in the midst of tears I came to the point of no return and I gladly yielded saying, God, more Lord, more God. I must have more of you at any cost if I lose respectability and get you in exchange I will gladly make that trade. Just give me more of you. It happened in 1995 and it changed his life. God encountered him in a dream in a way that he wasn't expecting. And many of you will know that since then, God's used this man extraordinarily. So first of all then, first obvious but very important point, dreams aren't dodgy. What are our expectations in a few hours' time when we go home, we go to bed? After hearing that story... You're probably thinking, hmm, I think I want that, but um, that's kind of terrifying. 
But secondly, what we see here is not only that dreams aren't dodgy, but actually very positively, dreams bring direction. They bring amazing direction. First of all, he says here in verse 13, he says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. So the first element here I just want to say is this, is that what we see here is that dreams from God, they bring in their sheer content an extraordinary encouragement, an amazing encouragement from God. If you look through this passage, you see it like a heartbeat again and again, God saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am your God. I will do this. I will do that. I will do the other. The massive emphasis we see here is actually on God, on him encountering this man. So God here wants to encourage Jacob in his life. And, and as I was thinking and dwelling upon this, I believe that God, God wants to encounter us through dreams. And what in essence he's saying here is this, I am in control. I am in control. I am the God of your grandfather, of your father, and of you. I am in control of your life. And he brings massive encouragement. You see, for many of us, I think, if we're honest, we're secret control freaks. I know I can certainly slip into that. And God here simply is it where he says, no, 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 let me take the wheel here. I want to remind you, Jacob, that I am the one who knows the end from the beginning. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the author and the perfecter. I am the one who is steering your life, who is shaping your lives, even in the middle of the night. I am the one that neither sleeps nor slumbers. And for some of you here today, you have allowed your own attempts of controlling your life to lead you into anxiety. And God wants to just break that today. He just wants to assure you with a shepherding love that he is the one who's in control. He wants to bring to you a fresh sense of trust in him that he is the one who is in control of your life. So in its sheer content, first of all, we see here that this dream brings enormous direction to his soul. It's almost like before that his soul would have been perhaps more introspective. And now we see this, this great shaft of God's encouragement just downloads upon him. I am this, I am that, I am the other. But we see secondly here, a second element of this extraordinary direction that God brings is not just in terms of encouragement, but it's in terms of expansion. Look here, look at the verses. It says, I will, verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. Now you have to understand here that at this moment, Jacob's not even married. He's a single guy. And yet God, in this dream, he is not just encouraging, as, as important as that is, but he is expanding him. He is expanding Jacob from being a man who thinks about his own life to realizing that because by God's grace he's been chosen by God, that God wants to expand his vision. He says, I want to do something through you that actually is completely impossible. I want to expand your soul. I want to expand your mind. I want to expand your expectations of what I can do through you. I'm going, to, I'm going to multiply your offspring. I'm going to do a miracle through you. And, and even for us today as a people, it is so vital that we recognize that if you know Jesus here today, we need to be daily, hourly expanded in God, like Jacob was through God's presence, to realizing that God wants us to be a people who see the multitudes come to know him, that we are a people who are expanded in him. But look at the specific type of expansion that's here. It's mission expansion. Because he says here, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's saying here that through your offspring, ultimately through Jesus, who will be his great, 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 great grandson, the whole of the world's going to be blessed. He's saying this, Jacob, Jacob, I'm blessing you so that you will be a blessing. I'm blessing you so that through my blessing upon you, you will be someone who lifts your eyes off your own life and you fix your eyes on the world around you. Dreams from God 
bring expansion to us, not just in terms of doing the impossible, but also in terms of mission impossible. That God wants us to be a people who, when dreams come our way, recognize that they bring the heart of the Father for mission. But we also see here, finally, not just encouragement, expansion, but also encounter. Look at these words in verse 16. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Surely the Lord is in this place. I believe with all my heart that we as a people, more than ever, we need to be a people that this is our daily cry. Lord, Lord, we know you are here, but we need to know you are here. We need to know, we need to transition from, yes, we know in theory God is in this place, to Lord, you are truly in this place. It was interesting just this week, um, I was having my, my uh, a meal, I think it was a breakfast or maybe evening dinner with Josie, Daisy and Lily. And um, I think we were thanking Jesus for the cheesy pasta or something. And we were eating away and I said, and I said, let's just, you know, let's thank Jesus for this. And she was saying, you know, thank you, Jesus. And I said, Daisy, you know that Jesus is here. And she sort of went, really? Is he behind the curtain? No, 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 he's, he's invisible, but he's real. And, and she looked a bit confused, so I said, come here. And I, I blew on her face. I went, Whew. I said, what's that? And she was like, oh, you know, it's, it's wind. It's, and I said, yeah, and it's invisible, isn't it? But you can feel it. You can sense the reality of it. And actually, unwittingly, I think I freaked her out without realising it. <laughs> Josie was like, but Jesus isn't scary in like a nasty way, Daisy. And jo- Josie, you know, covered my back brilliantly. Thanks, darling. But you know what? I, I hadn't planned to say it in like a spooky way. But actually, as I said it, honestly, the atmosphere changed. And it was like she just, something just sank in. It's like, she wouldn't obviously understand it. I mean, who does? But actually, I just, I just felt like we, God wants us to be a people who transition more and more to living our lives daily in the sense of God is in this place. And there'll be times where emotionally we are so aware of that. Spiritually we're so aware of it. And there'll be other times when we won't. But the truth remains the same. If we want to avoid sin, we have to remember God is always with us. His eyes are always upon us. If we want to be a people who will worship consistently, persistently, when we don't feel like it and when we do, we have to remember that God is here. I just, just a silly illustration. I just imagine I said, okay, Jeff, let's lead us in the national anthem now, okay? So Jeff's like, okay, obedient. Gets up and saying, God save our gracious. And we'd be like, you know, some of us would be enthusiastic. Many wouldn't. We'd just be singing it. Just imagine suddenly if we realized the queen was sitting next to John and Jane Nottage. Just imagine if we suddenly saw she's just walked in with her bodyguards and there she is. I think we would sing the song a little differently. We'd be like, God save, you know, we'd, things would change. And this is the point of the dream. It brings him into encountering the living God. And so you're probably saying, oh my goodness, Tom, I, I, I need a dream. Who here, after, after reading this, goes, I need a dream. Put your hand up. I need a dream. Thank you, Tim. I need my sermon notes as well. But we would read this and go, oh my goodness, I, I recognize that in my life I need to be someone who dreams. You know, you're probably going, Tom, can you just shut up? I need to go and hit the sack right now. I need to get on the couch. In fact, do it here if you want. But this should lead us into a place of righteous hunger, saying, wow, does anyone here have any hunger for the kind of things we've been talking about, encountering God in that way? That is what it produces in us. If God did this to an ordinary man, and I'm an ordinary man here, and you're an ordinary woman out here, then surely we should go, well, Lord, Lord, I want this dream. I want to have this in my life. I want to see the ladder. I want to see the ladder. I want to see that ladder that Jacob saw. It should produce in us a righteous hunger for this. But do you know what? I I want to say this. My third and final point is this, is that, do you know what? As amazing as this dream was, as amazing as that ladder was, it was only a warm-up. It was only a warm-up. It was only a shadow of an ultimate dream 
of an ultimate ladder that we would see come crashing into time and space sometime later. Turn in your Bibles one last time to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 51. What am I talking about? You're saying ladders? This man's gone mad. We see these words spoken by Jesus himself. And just, just as we look at them, just see if they ring any bells perhaps. He says this about himself. Truly I say to you, John 1, 51. Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He was talking about himself. Now scholars get their knickers in a twist about whether that was at the crucifixion, whether it was at the resurrection, whether it was at the ascension, whether it was a future thing that's still going to happen. The point remains, Jesus is saying, guess what? The ladder that was symbolic for Jacob about encountering God was only a warm-up to me. I am the ladder. You can get excited. Woohoo! I am the ladder. Because for many of you would have been saying, Tom, with the story with Jacob, I've got to ask the question, how could Jacob, a normal sinful man, just breathe into God's presence? How could it be that God would just be like, yo, Jacob, how are you doing? Because if, as we all know, the Bible tells us, God is holy, perfect, morally immaculate, and Tom Shaw and the rest of the world, we're not. We are imperfect sinners. And so therefore, there's a bit of a problem. The Bible very, very clearly tells us this. And the whole point is, is that we can't just hang out with God in our own state. So how on earth could Jacob just be with, with, with God and the angels on the ladder? Are you ready for this? It's because when that was happening, God the Father always knew that there would be another ladder. He always knew that when Jesus went to Calvary, he would be the point, the true point at which heaven touched earth when he hung on the cross he took Jacob's sin that would have separated him from God upon himself so that Jacob could freely come before God he took Tom's sure sin upon himself at the cross so that I could come freely before God the Bible tells us that at Calvary Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself so that all those who by faith trust in Jesus can freely come before God with no fear of judgment. And that he indeed is the true and living ladder. That he is the now the point at which heaven and earth kiss. You see, the father, he had a dream. He had an ultimate dream. The Bible tells us his dream was that broken earth would actually be, would be kissed and embraced and fixed by a loving father. That was our God's dream for all eternity. And yet, as we see, this dream was going to cost him everything. This dream of, of achieving this was going to cost him everything. Namely, his son's taking my sin and your sin upon himself. That's how Jesus, Jesus could say these words with authenticity because he knew he was the ladder. And I want to say this, therefore, that the dream the Bible tells us God's great dream of humanity being reconciled with God, being able to approach God through the ladder, as it were, of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. This is the greatest dream the world could ever think of. And the problem is the world doesn't think that. You ask your average person and they'll go, well, if I could earn 50, win 56 million, that would be my dream. That would bring me enough comfort and pleasure and freedom from work, and then I would be satisfied. I want to tell you humbly, that's a lie. It is a lie. The Bible tells us the only place of true pleasure is in the presence of the living God. We might say, well, you know, if I could have the dream of a really brilliant family, an earthly family, that would then bring me the ultimate, ultimate satisfaction. And the Bible says as good as that is, actually being part of God's family, being reunited with your heavenly father in heaven is 10,000 times greater than any human dream that we could have. Your dream might be, well, Tom, if I can just get to the top of my career ladder, I know that will give me, that will give me ultimate dreamlike joy in my life. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Jobs are good. They're from God. They're fantastic. But this is telling us that God's great dream, the father's great dream, is actually of you being Knowing him in all your intimacy. 
that your Father in heaven who longs to have relationship with you, his dream of reconciled relationship is the ultimate, ultimate dream. It's the dream that Jesus Christ died to fulfill. And today it's on offer for you. And you might say, Tom, you don't understand. You don't understand. You know, I, I've only, I'm new to this thing. I don't know what I believe. Listen, let's make it very simple. Is that actually you were designed to have an extraordinary life by grace in God. Is that God, through Jesus, now, you see, we might say, wow, I, I just wish I'd had that experience of Jacob. Listen, that experience that Jacob had was nothing compared to the living God walking on planet Earth. Jesus Christ as the ladder, as the dream, has walked on this earth so that every single man, woman, and child now can know God. Isn't this extraordinary? I think it's mind-blowing. And so we would therefore conclude, well, Tom, if that's true, then surely, surely when we look at the life of the early disciples who walked with him, who ate with him, who knew him, who had the best teaching ever, you know, they, they, they hung out with the best theologian that's ever existed, the best preacher, the best miracle worker. They saw him crucified, died, and then risen from the dead. Surely the disciples, they would have had the best chance of anyone of actually encountering and knowing this dream. Surely they had everything that ever could be needed in order to actually fulfill what I've been saying for the last half an hour. But actually, the Bible tells us one extraordinary truth is that when Jesus looked at his disciples, knowing all those things I've just said, he actually, at the beginning of Acts, said these amazing words. He said this in Acts chapter 1. He said this, while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, chapter two, they were all together in one place. And there suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And not surprisingly, those all around go, oh my goodness, what on earth is happening? They look like they're drunk. And Peter gets up and says these incredible words. Verse 15, they are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And what we see here happening extraordinarily is that now it's no longer about just pleading with God, give me a dream. You can imagine Jacob, can't you? For the rest of his life, he would have been like, wow, that night. Oh, if only I could go back in time and have that night again. You'd imagine his mates who didn't have that experience, righteously jealous. I wish I'd had that experience. Lucky you, Jacob. But what we hear now is that what happened to one man on one night in his life now is available 24-7. But now, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out, because Jesus has been ascended, he's saying now, because what was it's no longer just about dreams. What was the point of the dream? The point of the dream was to encounter God. The dream was a means to an end. And what we see now is that God is saying, listen, it may be through dreams, it may be through visions, it may be through prophesying, it may be through all the gifts of the Spirit, it may be through the fruit of the Spirit. The point is this, the Spirit of God has been poured out in an extraordinary way now, which means that you can encounter God in the kind of way that Jacob did 24-7. Is that we can approach God with expectation that the kind of intimacy that he had at that moment for that one night, now this side of the Spirit's being poured out, it is the last days. It's the days of visions. It's the days of prophesying. It's the days of dreaming from God. You see, when we now look at this city, God calls us to be a prophetic people. 
He calls us to be a dreaming people. He calls us to be a visionary people. Even if you would never think of that yourself here, if you know Jesus, the Spirit of God is in you. And this means that right now, when we look out at this city, we need to get caught up with our Father's big dream that dwarfs our little dreams of this entire city being ruined by the presence of God. That our Father in heaven, he's poured out his Spirit into our souls. Everyone here who knows Jesus. So that each of us, we, we are caught up in the great dream of heaven that looks at this broken, needy city. And we don't go, oh, well, let's have a nice cosy meeting. No, we say the spirit of God in us yearns to overflow out of us into our workplaces, into the universities, into the creches, into the nurseries, into the schools, through us. As we are now a people who are caught up by the spirit with the great dream of our father which is to see this city one for Jesus. Do you believe it? Do we believe it? It's his absolute passion. These are the last days before he will return. The Bible is very clear. And we can just, we can be honest with you, just go to sleep. Uh Which isn't a bad thing as we've heard today, but I don't mean that literally. God wants to breathe on us, friends. He wants to breathe on us with massive expectations. Do you understand that? We look at his Jacob's life and go, wow. And what the Bible tells us is that as great as that is, that was just a warm-up on one night for one man. And now when I look at hundreds of people, and I think God is boomed from heaven, I have poured out my spirit upon all flesh. Is that now if you know Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus, today can be the day where you come to know him. And God can fill you and flood you and turn you into someone who dreams God's dreams, who sees his visions. Guys, we have a few years, maybe depending on your age, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years maybe, where we can run with all of our passion, all of our heart to see God's dream for this city fulfilled. God's heart yearns to see this place filled with the power of the living God. In 1859 in Ulster, formerly a a northern province of Ireland, in the city of Coleraine, a young boy fell under deep conviction of sin while in school. The schoolmaster observed that the lad was unable to do his work, so he sent the student home to seek the Lord in private. The teacher had an older boy who was recently converted in the awakening accompany him. On the journey home, the two schoolboys came upon an abandoned house, went inside to pray for the younger boy's salvation. They prayed through until the land was gloriously saved. Joy flooded his soul and he exclaimed, I must go back and tell. After entering the classroom, he said to his schoolmaster, I am so happy. I have the Lord Jesus in my heart. Suddenly, boy after boy left the room and fled into the playground. The schoolmaster looked over the schoolyard stone wall and found them on their knees, seeking God for salvation. The teacher asked the young man who just prayed the lad through to assist these other boys in prayer. And shortly after he began praying, the boy's silent weeping turned into bitter wailing. The sound of their deep lamentation reached the remaining boys in the classroom. The Holy Spirit was overwhelmingly present. And those students dropped to their knees in desperate cries for God to have mercy on them. The girls' school was on the second floor. And the moment moment they heard the loud wailing from the boys, they too were overcome with concern for their souls. Before long, the weeping filled the entire school. The volume was so great, it could be heard in the streets. Concerned neighbours came rushing into the building when they heard the commotion. And as they crossed the threshold, grief gripped their their hearts over their own sin. Clergymen laboured throughout the evening, leading the repentant to the Saviour. Dinner was forgotten. Tea was forgotten. It was not until 11 at night that the school premises were freed from these glorious, unexpected guests. History is littered. Is littered. This great city, 1,500 years ago, was the place where the gospel first was proclaimed. Augustine comes over. He preaches the gospel. And what do we see in 24 months in this very place? 10,000 people give their life to Jesus. 10,000 people give their lives to God and are baptized. I think in a city probably at that time of maybe 10, 20,000, that's fairly significant. I think God, who has done it in the past and is doing it in the rest of the world, wants to do it here. I believe our wonderful God wants us to leave this place today knowing, believing with all of our hearts that actually to be a Christian, to be a Christian, means that we have been smeared with the presence of God, an anointed one. 
That we are those that now, without any sense of wackiness or hype, should be expecting the living God to transform our Monday mornings into glorious times where through dreams, visions, prophecy, or you name it, the living God wants to take us from an ordinary place into an extraordinary place again and again and again and again for their blessing and for his glory. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to break bread. If you want to break bread, if you know Jesus, please do use this opportunity to respond. Don't feel you have to do it. Why don't we just open up our hearts? Why don't we just maybe, just right now, before the living God, let's just, even these last few moments, let's just present ourselves before our King. God is calling us to be a people of creativity because we are made in the image of the Creator. We aren't called to be a people who are strategic in our own strength. We are called to be a people who are flooded hourly, moment by moment, with the living presence of God that takes our own best efforts and as we are drenched in his presence, we are changed. Why don't you just right where you are now, why don't you just ask, say, Lord, I just want to ask for more of you in my life. In your own words, just now, just the Bible says, ask and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and he will come to you. The Bible encourages us to be a people who yearn for the power of the living God upon us and in us. That in our days, we would see God fall in our lives. He would fall afresh on us in tremendous power. But now, as Jesus has made a way, our great high priest, as the Spirit has been poured out, that our God has made every provision needed to enable a normal person like you and me to do extraordinary things for his glory. Lord, we just present ourselves today. Lord, we lift our gaze off the earthly things that sometimes weigh us down. And we say, Lord, let your beautiful smile be upon us. Presence of the living God, we thank you. You're the same God that encountered Jacob that night and you humbled him, you changed him. Lord, change us. Change us, Lord. Like just, why, just right now, you ask, if you know you want to be changed, even now in these last few moments, the offer of God's Spirit changing our hearts is wonderfully available. Right now, you just actively ask him, Lord, we love you. We ask God for the power of the living God on us as a people. Lord, we don't want to go one step if you're not with us. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's just, we are going to finish in a moment. Let's just even now, just I, I sense that God is with like a big smile on his face. He's just lovingly, just yearning to make sure no one here today misses out that not a single person, even as he's been pinpointing through, there's a lot of people being prayed for with specific things, but I believe as well as that, there's just, as Mike's been saying, there's just a raising of the water level. A corporate, family-wide raising up of the water level. As, as in a dock, the water rises and it carries all the boats with it. And this isn't just going to be a one-off thing, that God's starting to raise our expectations to that which we see in the Bible. So right now, just maybe, if you just know that even if you haven't come forward, something in you is saying, Lord, I want more of that. I do. Let's just respond one last time together. You might just want to reach out your hands or just in your heart, lift yourself to God. Say, Lord, we recognize, Lord God, you are the sovereign Lord who has indeed poured out your spirit in extraordinary ways for the sake of the glory of Jesus and for the sake of those who don't know you. Lord, I want to pray, Lord, with all my heart for this wonderful family, this church family across this room. Lord, I know many here feel like almost, I see a picture of a shriveled balloon and God is going to blow into you in these days. He's going to do it. It may not be now, but he's going to do it. He's going to pick you up and he's going to blow into you and expand you afresh. 
you're going to see a sunset or you're just going to be listening to a piece of music and suddenly the Spirit of God is going to meet you. And where there's been actual quite a heaviness in your heart and you felt almost like just shrunk up, the breath of God is going to expand you afresh. I believe that there is a wonderful inclusivity, even now some of you, just God's melting your hearts in the Spirit. Even now there's just a fresh compassion that's coming to you. And God's just breathing on you with His compassion for the city. Specific people groups, some of you, God's spoken to you about in dreams or in your, or it may not be a literal dream, maybe in the daytime you put it on your heart, the homeless, the broken, the marginalized, single mums, single dads, some of you have got specific dreams in you and God today is wanting to just breathe on that afresh. His timescales are often different to ours and he's saying, oh child of God, I haven't forgotten that which you think I have. I genuinely haven't. And I'm breathing on you. I'm breathing on you now. I'm breathing on you with fresh faith. With fresh faith that to be a believer does not mean a head knowledge. It means a heart encounter. It means that your legal right, your legal right is to come before the King of Kings. It's a legal right. He's paid for it. You don't have to introspect. You don't have to try and have 25 devotionals every day. Forget it. He's done it for you. He's bought it at the cross and he's poured his spirit upon you. And whether you like it or not, he's coming after you. His purposes are bigger than our expectation. His purposes are bigger than even our desires. He is a God who yearns to crash into this city, to heal the broken, to take those who are addicted to drugs and heroin and to rip them out of addiction through us. God is on the move. Lord, we say it. We say it for businessmen here. Lord, would you give them creativity in the spirit? Lord, we pray where the council has has come up against brick walls and doesn't know how to unlock things. Give us as a people the dreams from heaven. Give us the creative DNA, Lord. We want to partner, Lord, with the police and with teachers. Lord, we want to partner with the universities. But Lord, we want to we want to say, Lord, you've given us your people wonderful rights to dream your dreams, to see your wonderful colours being painted across this city. Lord, we say, Lord, align our hearts, Lord. Lord, where we just see our jobs as things we do, break that in the name of Jesus. For some of you right now, you just go to work and you think there's my workplace and then there's church. And God is saying, lovingly, you need to change your thinking. I am there with you. Just as Jacob said, God was here and I didn't know it. For some of you, you're going to sense a difference even tomorrow as you go to work. You're going to realize that you're his ambassador. You are there with his authority and you're there with great expectations that God will speak through you to bring his glory through you. Oh Lord, do it Lord. Do we want him to do it? Come on, let's raise a shout. Let's do something. Let's love him. Say, Lord, we love you. We say, God, pour out your spirit.